Welcome back, everyone, to NRC Health's Patient No Longer podcast. It is a new year. We've flipped the script to 2022, and it is great to be back with you. As you know, we are unearthing insights, themes, and stories from what we're seeing in our data and the people we're working with. And it is a pleasure to bring to you the first episode of this year. Joining us today will be Bert McClosey. Bert McClosey is a marketing and branding guru. He's someone we've collaborated with for quite some time, over a decade now, on the Market Insights line of our business. He understands healthcare, but also overall trends. In fact, he's fresh off of the 2022 trends report of his own through his company, Joseph Consulting. Does a lot of brand work, and also, Bert is in Canada. And so that makes this technically the first international episode of Patient No Longer. Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care. My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health. And it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. So I wanna say a warm welcome to our guest today, Bert. How are you? Fine, thank you, Ryan. I'm happy to be here and it's a pleasure to discuss this. I'm looking forward to it and I'm glad I could be helping you expand your horizons into the international market. We need all the help we can get and it's always good to have someone with eyes outside of the United States. And Bert, you've done work and still do work inside the States. In fact, you lived in the States for many years, how we got to know each other. But having that international perspective will bring a different flavor to this. And actually, we're fresh off of our own trends webinar where we shared some of the insight that Bert has shared in his findings as well. So this is going to be really interesting. We're going to actually devote two episodes of the Patient No Longer podcast to this. Bert, let's dig in first on overall trends you're seeing from 2021 to 2022, there is tons of turbulence in healthcare. There's tons of turbulence in the world. And I want to ask you, having read through your report a few times, what's the most important trend overall that you're identifying today? Yes, and this is across the board. My trend report is mostly a U.S. focus. And obviously, I've been living in the U.S. for a long time. I'm back in Canada. So to your point, I have this perspective. And I've also done work in Western European countries as well. So this trend is overall those three areas that I mentioned. And the biggest thing really here is the ease of use of technology in terms of how technology has become an integral part of everyone's life. And it's not just necessarily early adopters in terms of technology and the classic Gen Z segment, it's everyone. And COVID has basically forced people to adapt. And the whole idea is that necessity is the mother of invention. Well, there's been all sorts of innovative components because there was a whole necessity to do things differently because of COVID. And it's not just a pandemic component that's transcended everything. For example, online shopping, grocery shopping is a huge component. Before, the only people were doing it 24 months ago were the Gen Z people because they're digital natives. Someone who's a boomer, they said they won't be caught dead doing it. And guess what? We have 70-year-olds doing online grocery shopping and having it delivered at the door and then going, oh my God, this is so easy to do. They never would have tried to do that two years ago. So there's an example in terms of how technology is permeating everyone's life in a positive way versus a negative way. And that was just because we had to change our habits in terms of how we're doing things. You take that to 
multiple examples. Obviously, the grocery example is the big one in terms of the whole delivery system with DoorDash and Uber Eats, et cetera. But you look at that from a healthcare sector point of view is there's some learning, and we'll get into a lot more detail about that in terms of what's happened in e-commerce from the early adopters to now it's mainstream. How could the healthcare sector take some of that learning and adapt it and adopt it? That's the biggest component that's happening right now. Well, and the technological piece is so true in healthcare. You know, in our studies, we've looked at those reluctant consumers who didn't want to do telehealth, but because there was nothing elective, there was large parts of healthcare organizations that were shut down, do not enter. And so these people were sort of forced into technology. And so were the folks within healthcare organizations who didn't have the bandwidth built up, had some janky third-party app that was barely used, and they were thrust into the center of a growing service line growing overnight and the need for that technology. And you're absolutely right. It wasn't just millennials or Gen Z. It was cutting across age groups. It's interesting to think about this expansion of the virtual world and where that leaves us. Healthcare is such a physical space. It's all about being in the exam room or the operating room or sitting in the waiting room. And it's interesting to think about our brand, right? You're a brand expert. You were instrumental in a lot of our branding questions that were added to Market Insights. And you know that healthcare companies especially, but I think it's true across the board, we relied so much on physical components for our brand. And now so much of that is virtual. Have brands made the leap into virtual? And I suppose I'm asking that specifically about healthcare. Were they able to come across during COVID? Were their hands forced? Or are we still relying on our physical assets for our brand? And does that spell trouble? Right now, you're still relying on your physical assets for brand, and that needs to change. And it might be kicking and screaming, but the whole idea has to happen. And the more co-branding you can do, the better it is. And let me just share an example of what I had to do coming across from Chicago to Toronto. So here I am coming across the border from the U.S. to Canada. This is a year ago, the height of COVID. I had to do a PCR test, 14-day quarantine. That's the Canadian rule. So I arrive at Customs and they give me a self-administered home kit, which I had to go and stay in place 14 days, take three PCR tests within those 14 days. So the way it was self-administered, it was through telehealth. I had to go online and had a video conferencing call with a nurse in a different city who basically instructed me in terms of how to administer the COVID swab test. She was great in terms of telling me how to do it. I put it in a UPS bag and then a courier came a couple hours later, picked it up and received my results 24 hours or 36 hours later. So that was a forced example of telehealth. Obviously, that happened in Canada. It's the same thing in the U.S. There's no way that would have happened 24 months ago. If I would have had some type of virus, I would have physically had to walk into my physician or to an emergency clinic or wherever the case may be. This was extremely convenient. I felt this connection with this healthcare professional because she guided me through it. I physically didn't need to be in her presence, but I felt I was in her presence. So taking that to the step in terms of branding, for example, I was with a nurse who was assigned to me and I trusted her because she's a healthcare professional. You do that if you're walking to a CVS or some of the things that you were mentioning in your podcast earlier, Ryan, is that if you have that sense of credibility going to somewhere where there is a co-branding component, that goes a long way in terms of brand loyalty and credibility and also having this sense of assurance from a consumer point of view is that, yeah, I'm going somewhere where there's a healthcare professional and I trust them. So that has to happen uh, more so than it currently is. 
Well, that's interesting. And you know, you've mentioned a couple of times this idea of your brand, and you are a bona fide expert in branding. Branding is a passion of mine because we all know everyone in healthcare and in all of business, you have a brand. The question is not if you have one, you do. The question is how much you put energy into it, how much you maintain it, how much you use it as a resource and track it over time. And we know in healthcare, you reach a lot of brands who don't really know what they've got in front of them. And there's a lot of assumptions about it. And there's not always a lot of energy going into the brand, unfortunately. You said something interesting in your trend report about this idea of the rebirth of the brand. And that really stuck with me. When you say rebirth of the brand, what do you mean by that? Well, that means from a digital point of view, everything is performance-based. And obviously, that's a critical metric. That's the most important metric. Again, looking from an e-commerce point of view, but bringing it back to healthcare sector, as well as other sectors, is that it's not necessarily right now, if you're doing any type of e-commerce, it's a transactional relationship. You need to migrate from a transactional relationship to a brand relationship. Because of a transactional, just by definition, is I can go to the fastest provider, the cheapest provider, whatever the case may be. As the saying goes, you only get what you pay for. So the whole idea is something might be a bit more expensive, but it's well-branded or more value. That's important. So this whole idea of rebirth of brand, it's beyond that metric of a transactional performance. It's this brand loyalty. And that's a critical component, particularly when digital is forefront in all our lives, as previously mentioned. So the quintessential components of what brand is, that having that relationship with a product, this product obviously being a healthcare system, as an example, what's that relationship with the patient and the consumer? How was it 24 months ago? How is it now? How is it going to be 24 months moving forward? Brand marketers in healthcare really have to look at that saying beyond that metric in terms of how many patients do we have? Our ICU is full. Those are obviously key metrics. What type of elective surgery do we have? What type of elective surgery did we have to cancel because of COVID? Moving forward, those things are going to come back, but there has to be a trust built. And particularly, there's all sorts of things going on across the world about misinformation, about COVID, et cetera. That's a topic for another day. However, it does have some effect in terms of the overall trust factor for healthcare beyond COVID. So that branding and that trust has to be built or rebuilt and established. To your point, it's an ongoing thing that has to happen on a daily basis, let alone when we're in a pandemic. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about the ways in which we've got to spread out virtually. And I think that's such a challenge. I mean, I think it's a challenge in a lot of industries, but in healthcare, we are just so reliant on this idea that the relationship is just someone needs care and they come on in. So let me ask you this. You know, I'm sure there's listeners who are thinking, you know, I want to build a virtual brand. I want to push the organization that direction. Maybe we've taken some steps because of COVID, because of the necessity you talked about, but we're still so reliant on the physical experience. In healthcare, is the physical experience going to remain important? And what I mean by that is, let's say in that 24-month window from now to 2024, we make some real leaps and bounds in virtual and we flesh out our brand in those ways you described. Can we still rely on the physical experience as the centerpiece of a brand relationship? Is it the proof point, the end point, or does it really become sort of ancillary to all of those digital and virtual interactions? A physical aspect is always going to be critical because the nature of the business that you're in healthcare. But you hit a key word there, Ryan, and it's about relationships. 
And relationships don't have to be physical. They can be physical, but they don't have to necessarily be physical. And branding is all about relationship. So as we've learned in this new age in terms of video conferencing and Zoom and e-commerce, you can still have a relationship without physically being in the same spot because the relationship is also a mental component. So you're mentally like-minded people having various chat rooms, those type of ideas. That's a relationship and that's part of branding as well. So from a healthcare sector point of view, yes, you can have the physical relationship for specific things. If I broke my leg, I'd have to go to a hospital or emergency room. But if I need to get a blood pressure or have questions about various components, which can be done virtually, then you can do that. And a relationship is still there, but you can do it through obviously video chat. And you're actually seeing the healthcare professional on the other side and actually having a conversation with that individual. And oftentimes we've experienced this year in a waiting room and you're one of many people waiting and then the healthcare practitioner barely looks at you because he or she are so busy doing things. That's physically there, but there isn't the brand relationship there whatsoever. One of the things we've tried to dig into, and I think we need more insights, I will ask you on the spot here today. I want to think about this in the future of this challenge of being hybrid. There's some things happening physically because just as you pointed out, I break my leg, I'm going to need some physical care. But there's so many things now where I've had an experience virtually and it was convenient and it generally worked for me and I want to do it again. Do you think that healthcare providers specifically, are they in a position where they can start to assimilate physical and virtual and almost curate it in a way that it makes sense to the consumers they're going through? Or do you see this as for the foreseeable future, just a chaotic area where sometimes you can do things virtually Usually the default is physical. I mean, what is that going to look like over the next few years? It doesn't necessarily have to be chaotic if it's planned out. So again, taking a look at what's the overall marketing trend 2022 across categories, the healthcare sector could learn in terms of what other sectors are doing. Again, e-commerce, grocery was at the forefront in terms of having delivery. Then the other component is people working from home. So the whole office environment, that whole dynamic of office real estate, and are people going to go back to the office? It's going to be a hybrid model moving forward post-pandemic. So there is this social acceptance and business acceptance of having this hybrid model in terms of virtual working, working from home, going to the office two or three days a week versus five days a week. That's the new normal, and that's going to be moving forward. So if you take that example and that mentality to healthcare, it's the same type of idea. You can have this brand relationship and areas where you can do things virtually because it's a lot more convenient. And you mentioned it on your podcast. Consumers want convenience and they don't care what category it is. It could be getting your grocery. It could be getting your blood pressure taken, whatever the case may be, virtual learning. People want convenience. So it's a combination of convenience and quality. And those two things have to happen right now in healthcare the convenience isn't there, the quality is there. And then one might argue, well, the quality isn't there because I have to wait forever to physically get an appointment with my doctor, but I want convenience and quality. So this hybrid model is perfect for that. You know, you raise an interesting point, the convenience and the quality. And we did mention a trend that we're seeing is convenience sort of supplanting everything else, quality, reputation, compassion, as sort of this number one piece, because I'm so used to having convenience in my life, I've learned to value it highly. I think the other thing in healthcare is that I can tell when something is convenient. I can tell if I've been waiting too long or I've got to fight through traffic or 
my doctor's an hour behind and the waiting room is full of angry people. It's harder sometimes to discern quality. I didn't go to medical school. I don't exactly know what quality medical care looks like. Luckily, I suppose I don't receive a lot of it, so I don't have a lot of experience with it. So there's some theories out there. In fact, I was reading about one this weekend that convenience really becomes the surrogate for all these other things. If you can just make something convenient, then that's sort of the quality I know. That's the quality I can perceive. I think that's really interesting, especially in healthcare, because healthcare quality is so important, right? There can be a big difference between a high quality experience and you know a low quality experience that affects my health for the rest of my life. Do you buy that idea that convenience almost supplants quality and other metrics, or does it simply enhance them, or is there a different type of relational quality there? Where do you land on that? It comes down to what category you're in. So convenience, if I want to buy a bag of potato chips, I can go to my convenience store because it's across the street. I have to pay more for it, but it's convenient because I'm buying potato chips. However, in something like healthcare, well, convenience is critical, but it's one of the multiple facets in terms of how one makes a decision in terms of healthcare because it's your health. So it's important. So if I buy a bag of potato chips and it's not exactly the brand I want and it's a bit stale, not the end of the world. However, if I get a convenient healthcare provider or go to a place, but I'm not thrilled with the quality I get, well, there could be serious ramifications for that. So that's why you need to have both. And it also depends upon what you're seeking within the healthcare sector, specifically from a consumer. Again, getting back to the blood pressure example, if I want to get my blood pressure, that's something would be convenience driven. But if I think I'm seriously ill and then I need quality and I'll forego some of the convenience because my health is at serious risk. So there, quality trumps convenience. Obviously, try to find some type of middle road to be able to do those type of things. I have to agree in principle that stale potato chips are not the end of the world, but they can be quite devastating. But let me ask you this, shifting ever so slightly from branding to marketing, you know, you've always got your finger on the pulse of marketing trends. You have a deep Marcom background. Let's think about some of those marketing trends that took hold during COVID. And in fact, in your trends report, you talk about top 10 marketing trends to anticipate. I won't make you rattle through all 10 from memory, but what is one or two marketing trends that you think are really going to take hold this year in 2022? And maybe just the other way to frame that is, what are some trends that are going to survive COVID and even expand beyond as we move from pandemic to endemic? What are a couple of those trends that are going to stay? Well, one of the key ones, and we saw it before COVID, and these trends have always been there, but in the last 24 months, COVID has been make it more of an accelerator. And uh, one component from an integrated marketing communication point of view, as well as overall marketing, is video marketing. Video has been obviously been around forever since TV. You can say, well, that's a form of video, but specifically right now is the short form video. Things such as TikTok, 24 months ago, it was niche, and the only people who knew about it were 13-year-old girls. That's no longer the case. It's becoming mainstream. For example, the NFL has signed a contract, multi-year contract with TikTok because they want to get a younger crowd in terms of watching football games. And guess what? Where do you get them? You get them on TikTok. It's that short form video. There's all sorts of other examples with that. An influencer on TikTok, she goes by the name of Miss Excel. She's 20 years old and she's bringing in a seven-figure salary for herself. And what she's doing, she's doing video vignettes on how to do Excel in a dance video format, if you can believe it. And it's taken off like crazy. So if you want to learn how to do Excel and don't have any affinity for numbers, check this out. Miss Excel, she does a great job with it. 
but it's not talking about fashion. It's talking about something which is a skill set in terms of from a business point of view, as an example. So the video is becoming huge with that. There's a whole idea with Walmart is also doing a component in terms of social commerce with video as influencers are going live streaming. They'll set up a time to go to Walmart saying, I'm going to be at Walmart at 10 p.m. Check out my video. It's going to be live. I'll put on various clothes. I'll give you your recommendations in terms of what's going on. That's Walmart as an example. But the whole idea of a short form video is huge. Gen Z, generally speaking, if you want to make a gross generalization saying their attention span is pretty small because they're digital natives. They're used to these short snippets. The whole idea that the marketers have gotten wind of this and has really come to the forefront that is back mainstream marketing, doing video, TikTok, YouTube, all those type of ideas, that's going to continue. And the question is, okay, that's great if you're in a Walmart, if you want to do anything else. But again, coming back to healthcare sector, for my opinion, there's a huge upside opportunity in terms of getting back to the brand relationship. How many healthcare systems are on TikTok? Probably not a lot. But the whole idea is, again, if you want someone who perhaps, maybe not a Gen Z, but someone older who is maybe trying to have a child and they want information, they're a TikTok user. And again, now it's transcending ages. TikTok is actually doing brand advertising on Get This Line, conventional television. <laughs> so it's talk about full circle because it's sure. fully integrated. Because TikTok is using TV ads. Who watches TV ads? People under the age of 25, not necessarily, but they're running it because they want to expand who's using TikTok. And marketers are doing that. That's why getting back to something with the healthcare system, if this sounds crazy that I'm saying a healthcare system should be using TikTok, it's not that crazy because it's cutting across all sorts of segments. It is interesting how it all comes full circle. And I used to think about that when we would see 30-second TV spots for Apple and they did quite well with a lot of those campaigns or, you know, Amazon opening stores. It is interesting how that comes full circle. And I suppose thinking of brands like Walmart, which you don't always think of as a cool, chic brand for, you know, the Gen Z crowd, but they are doing it. They're getting in with TikTok. They're using influencers. To me, that would bode well for health systems. I think sometimes health systems say, well, what are we going to do on TikTok? Or, you know, years ago, well, why do we need a Facebook page? You know, we're not a person. And yet we know that people have relationships in social media with brands as much or more sometimes than they do real people. I mean, those relationships can matter. You know, I think what I'm hearing from you too is that health systems should be getting into this space, right? I mean, they've basically got the green light as other industries are doing this to start building those relationships. Absolutely. And the question healthcare system people may say is, well, you know, we're a pretty conservative sector and obviously understand why that is the case because they're scientists by trade, but scientists can also be pretty cool. And scientists could be influencer and physicians and doctors and surgeons could be influencer putting it in the right context. We're not asking them to do a 15 second dance video on TikTok, but what we're asking them to do is be an influencer for their brand. An example here in Canada is one of the leaders of a major party has his own TikTok account and he does videos for TikTok and people saying he's a serious politician. Why is he doing this? Guess what? Because he wants to hit the 18-year-olds and 24-year-olds who, are, generally speaking, are disengaged from the political process. So he's bringing those people on board via TikTok because that's where they're located. So the whole idea of getting back to healthcare system doesn't matter if you're 18 or 70-year-olds are now going to be using uh, the whole idea of, of video and TikTok and those type of components. 
So influencer marketing is critical and the authorities and the experts within the healthcare system, doctors, physicians, nurses, those type of people can be great influencers for generally speaking, the healthcare system and specifically for the brand and building that brand relationship. The example that you used in terms of science is so interesting. So you know this, Bert, because you've been here in your years of collaborating, but located in Lincoln, Nebraska, and college football is important to us. And I remember still a series of vignettes where college football stadium, 90,000 people all dressed in red cheering on Nebraska. And there was actually a Nebraska professor, a physics professor who would come on and do these two minute videos called football physics. And he would explain, you know, blocking, tackling, running, all the speed angles, you know, what physical properties were represented there and shared actual concepts of physics. And I always think that's so interesting when you jump out of your sector into another one. It just seems like healthcare has a lot to give in terms of applying that out to other industries, whether it's nutrition, whether it's sports, whether it's other areas of retail where you could learn more about healthcare outside of that traditional healthcare setting. I want to ask you this too, because you talk a lot about this in your reports and we never end a conversation without talking about it. The whole idea of loyalty. I think it's sort of been put on pause a little bit during COVID because we've been in crisis mode. But you talk about loyalty a lot. You even talk about in your trends report that loyalty is going to be harder to come by in 2022. Is that a COVID thing? As we emerge, hopefully the sooner the better from COVID, are we going to be able to do more loyalty building because we'll see a return to consumer behavior as we saw it before? Or is loyalty going to remain elusive forever? Loyalty, just like in any type of relationship, personal or business, is something that you have to work on on an ongoing basis. Because if you don't work on it, it's going to disappear and they're going to affect you negatively. So basically, the way I've seen it from the various trends in the past 24 months is loyalty has been split. Two things have happened. People have been very brand loyal to specific things that they know, that they trust and secure. Traditional things like Oreo cookies, for example. Their sales are through the roof. Obviously, COVID, you can't do much while you're sitting around. But why are you eating Oreo cookie? You trust that. That's a brand that you grew up with. It's something. It's like a warm blanket. There's that loyalty component to it. Conversely, there's the other component. We're saying, well, I'm not going to be brand loyal to anything because I'm having a supply chain issue. I can't get anything. I'm just going to buy whatever I can. However, once they do that, then they say, well, I didn't buy Oreo cookies. I bought something else which was close, good enough, and turned out to be not good enough. So that's where the split is really happening in terms of people being loyal, people not being loyal. What's happened right now, there's been more experimentation of trying different brands, as well as becoming a bit schizophrenic. You're either one end of the spectrum or the other. Moving forward, brand loyalty, again, it's an ongoing relationship that you have to have. And this word, we've heard pivoting, we had abundance of caution, all those catchphrases, which drives everyone crazy. Here's another one, but it's true, is authenticity particularly with a Gen Z crowd, that type of idea, the younger parts of our population are all the ones who are always pushing the boundaries. And if someone, they're looking for brand loyalty because you need to be socially responsible and have a conscience. Yes, you're there making a dollar. It's a capitalistic society. Everyone's accepting that. But you have to have some social responsibility. And I'll actually pay a premium for that if you have that sense of authenticity and basically doing what you're saying and do and be a responsible advocate within the greater good. And that doesn't sound like I'm doing kumbaya here, but that's the whole component. And to have brand loyalty, that has to happen. It could be the healthcare sector. Obviously, there's more brand loyalty and people doing 
really great work in there. But anything in terms of automobiles, that type of idea, the full spectrum brand loyalty is something that's ongoing and you have to work forward on that post-COVID. I know you're walking the walk on this. We've had lots of conversations about this, and I want to tie this in or, or see if it connects to one other item. And that's the idea of communities. Every brand wants to be a part of a community. They'd love for that community to be all the people that love their brand. You mentioned Oreos. They certainly have a following that has played out. And I've been an avid follower of Oreos during COVID. So I fit your description there. You talked about digital communities before and this idea that brands, you can't always create your own community. And sometimes it's not enough. You need to integrate into other communities. Is that another pathway to loyalty? What are the other motivations, if you will, for a brand? to go out and try to invest in these communities that are out there? Healthcare sector is perfectly positioned to do something like that. Just because the industry you're in, you have instant credibility because you're there to try to make people healthier and prevent illness and sickness. So that's an area that you can, lack of a better term, leverage. Here in Canada, here's an example of a mobile provider called Bell. And starting actually tomorrow on January 26th, they're having this thing called Let's Talk Day. And it's all about mental health, about bringing to awareness mental health. So that day, if you're a customer of Bell, any text, any type of data is free for the day because your whole idea is to bring awareness in terms of mental health. So there's social responsibility and it's a digital component. And yes, it's bringing awareness to Bell and increased market share, probably. But at the same time, they're being socially responsible in an area. And you mentioned in your report that oftentimes goes hidden in terms of mental health, you bring that into the healthcare sector. Well, you have the full range, everything from a sense of community for the whole range of healthcare. It could be mental health, it could be cancer, it could be a sport injury, whatever. It could be preventative medicine. Those areas of community are critical for a longevity of one's life. And that's directly cradle to literally grave. So those communities are there. And what the healthcare system needs to do is be able to grab hold of those and use digital marketing to influencer marketing through TikTok, where the case may be, to bring those communities together. And that brings all sorts of credibility and loyalty back to the healthcare sector, specific healthcare sector system brand. And those loyalties are something we desperately need, and we need to nurture our brands as we emerge from COVID. As I expected, this was wonderful, Bert. This is just our first of two conversations, but I want to thank you for taking us through the gambit of overall digital, social, everything marketing trends today. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. And Bert, you know, you covered so many different things, ease of use of technology, brand expansions and collaborations, everything we need to know marketing-wise. I love the Oreos example. So we're going to keep this going. Stay with us. This is the first of two parts of the Patient No Longer podcast episodes with Bert McClosey in the next episode. We'll be going more from macro to micro and centering in on healthcare implications coming out of our 2021 to 2022 trends. So stay tuned.